Hey there, podcast listener. I just wanted you to know that the John Desperry podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. With your Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime and anywhere. Download the free app onto smartphones, both Apple and Android. Listen across devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series if you'd like. I've been using Audible for about a decade now, and I couldn't be more satisfied. I love Audible. I've listened to audiobooks, dramas, podcasts. To get started with a one-month free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That gets you one month free, which includes a free book credit, two free Audible originals, and access to their massive library of resources. One more time, audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast to get started with Audible with that free month. Welcome back, everybody. Today we have chapter 26 for you. I'm sorry it's just one chapter this week, but I am on vacation, so I thought I'd take it a little easy. But you will get some commentary at the end of this episode, and I hate to say it, it's kind of a cliffhanger. Hope you enjoy it. Enjoy chapter 26, and I'll see you on the other side. Chapter 26 The new and shabbily constructed Bag City port was practically empty as the sun neared the horizon. Lydon stood pacing at the entrance to Gate 3. The intercontinental commuter had arrived and all the passengers, 15 or 16 of them, had disembarked. Kimber was not one of them. It astounded him that a region once thriving, maybe 40 million people, had diminished to such a ghost town. One by one, he watched as the Bagadites headed toward the port exit, and one by one, he watched as they were not Kimber. She stood him up. Lydon gripped tightly to the framework around the security scanner at the head of the gateway. You're an idiot, he whispered harshly to himself. Perhaps Zade and Jocko were more right than he wanted them to be, but then Kimber had no idea who he was. That he was the streetjacker from her past that had stolen the lamp and could offer her a way out of her life and into a better one. He was even fully prepared for a rejection, but it had to be on the terms of full disclosure. He had thought through the many ways the evening might go, but he never expected it to not happen at all. As his fingertips turned white, pressed against the security station, a doorway opened near the terminal entrance. A Bagadite soldier, one of Malik's special security, armed with a plasma rifle, walked through, followed by Kimber. Lydon's heart flipped, and he approached her. Just one more wrong move in his compendium of poor choices... The armed soldier quickly halted and detained Lydon with his rifle against Lydon's chest. No, Sergeant, he's here for me, Kimber said warily. 
She looked and sounded fatigued after a day of traveling to other continents doing her father's bidding. The soldier withdrew. Kimber came up to Ladin and instantly fixed her tired eyes on him, examining him as if trying to find something she had lost. What is it? Ladin said cautiously, and Kimber blinked, then looked back at her mod. Oh, it's nothing. Earlier today you reminded me of someone. Ladin's heart froze, and he could tell he was about to start sweating. Oh, really? Who? he said, forcing a cool composure. Kimber narrowed her eyes again and shook her head subtly. I don't know, she said. But he couldn't have been that important if I can't even recall who he was. Her words stung like a thousand Malorian bee stings. Anyway, I promised you a meal, so let's get this over with, she said, her tone not exactly inviting, although it wasn't contemptuous or derisive either. A big improvement. So what can we eat that will be adequately relaxing? Kimber asked. I don't know, Ladin replied. I don't suppose you have a tremulant eatery around here, he said with a forced chuckle. Kimber didn't laugh. No, she responded flatly as she headed out through the port's main exit. Earth hasn't exactly been a tremulant hotspot as of late. No, I suppose not. What about something... He paused to gauge her demeanor. I don't know, Egyptian? Kimber scoffed. You have an odd sense of reality, Mr. Basra. The only place to get Egyptian food is in Egypt. I don't really feel like flying another two hours just to eat. Well, I could get us there a little faster than that. Say, twenty minutes? Ladin said, and Kimber rounded on him with glaring eyes. I'm not really in the mood, Mr. Basra. If you would like to eat, we must do it here. Otherwise, I'll take my leave now. No, I'm serious. I have a rapid ultralight glider. It's Karaminen. We can be in Cairo in twenty minutes. Or less, even. You have a rug? Kimber asked skeptically. I didn't think they were available for export off of Karamina. Aren't they supposed to be dangerous in other atmospheres? Nah, Ladin said playfully. I've been flying it around since I got here. It's actually quite safe. Kimber's narrow eyes were soon accompanied by a slight cracking smile. You want to try it, don't you? Ladin said with a still playful tone, making sure to watch his alien accent. I can't say I haven't been curious, Kimber said. Then it's settled. We're going to Cairo for dinner. Follow me. Deep down, Ladin felt as giddy as a streetjacker on his first run through the market nets as he led Kimber around to the back of the port where he had parked the rug in one of the guarded hangar stalls. You're really going to like this, he said as he keyed in the hangar's access code. As the piercing white lights of the stall came on, Kimber's eyes widened at the sight of the rug. It was only about three meters across and four meters long, plainly rectangular. Its entire construction looked as light as the glider distinction made it sound. The material couldn't have been more than a few centimeters thick. There was a slight roll or wave in the craft's design, the trough being right at the seating area which housed two seat backs attached to what could only be described as the fuselage. In front of the seats were the scant manual steering mechanism and a small control panel screen. At the very front of the craft was a device of some sort that Kimber assumed was the famous Karaminen deflector array, the force field generator. Ladin walked over to the right side of the craft and gestured Kimber to her seat. She was actually smiling. Kimber examined the cockpit area. But I don't see any restraints or safety measures. At speed, the seat retracts and creates a sort of stabilizing grip on your body. Besides, it doesn't bank, and with the field activated, there's no wind to blow you out. It's like flying on a sheet of air. Kimber smiled again, and her eyes were more alive than Ladin had seen since he first met her. I promise it's safe. You've got your father's fearlessness, he said as he took her by the hand.
What makes you say that? She asked cautiously. You said it yourself. The father's attributes are always more dominant in mixed blood. Kimber seemed to freeze, her visage changing to severe scrutiny. I don't think I ever said that to you, she replied, and Ladin swallowed hard. Well, wherever I heard it, and whatever it means, I know you're going to love this, Ladin replied as he avoided eye contact and tugged on Kimber's hand, pulling her up the mounting steps and onto the surface of the rug. She didn't say anything else, but willingly ascended onto the craft. Ladin helped her into her seat, and he silently chastised himself for another near slip-up. Once in his own seat, he looked down at the control panel in front of him and powered the rug on. Well, here we go, he said as he pulled the glider out of its stall and onto the runway. The movement was absolutely frictionless. You might want to hang on to something, he said, and Kimber surprisingly locked both hands around Ladin's arm. He looked over at her as her eyes had once again come alive and smiled under his mask. The darkness of the middle continent raced below, the rugs shooting silently through the air that was virtually undetectable to its occupants. Kimber held tightly to Ladin's arm as every piece of his insides wished he could tell her the truth. They could escape easily, but the inextinguishable fear that Zade and Jocko were right kept nagging at him. Maybe she didn't want to leave at all. How fast are we going? Kimber asked softly, eyeing the control panel mod screen. When Ladin looked over, her eyes were dancing with the speckled glow of the display. Fast, Ladin replied impressively, his smile once again hidden by his disguise. We should be in Cairo in about ten more minutes. Kimber's mouth fell open. That's impossible, she exclaimed. We're in an open-air transport going that fast? It's not exactly open air. The field generator is protecting us from the elements. If that thing decided to give out, we'd probably be ripped out of our seats in a dozen little pieces. His affect was nonchalant, but Kimber's eyes were suddenly wide with mild terror. Lydon laughed. I'm just kidding. That can't happen, Lydon said with a giggle at the sight of her fear. There are three backup systems. If one of them indicated any problem at all, the glider would slow itself down and drop us to a safe altitude. He chuckled reassuringly. It would be a pretty freak thing for the shield to just fail without some kind of warning first. Kimber sat back in her chair and gripped firmly to the two support handles on either side of her. You're sure? She asked. Well, there was that one time. But his eyes portrayed enough humor that Kimber glared at him. That's not funny. Lydon laughed. I'm sorry. I've been up in this thing a lot going faster than this in worse conditions. Between the safety field, the debris neutralizing system, and my keen eyes, nothing's going to happen to you. He winked at Kimber, and she seemed to relax a little. Cairo came up as fast as expected. It was earlier than it was in Bag City. There was a certain sense of time travel as they landed the rug and deposited it in one of the many public hangars at the Cairo travel port. Their hovering taxi stopped in the middle of a crowded city square. Most of the surrounding area looked shabby like it had been rebuilt numerous times over. People sat in outdoor dining areas and talked. Others walked around, going into and coming out of shops. It was unlike anything Ladin had seen on Earth. It was like a little piece of Karamina had been picked up and dropped into this obscure city on the Nile River Delta. Bag City never showed signs of such leisure in society. So where to? Ladin asked. I've never been here before, so you'll have to point the way. Kimber looked down the street, an index finger to her lips. Well, it all depends on what you want, she replied. Lydon stared as she spoke, every word a poem set free in this space of peace and calmness. 
Kimber caught him looking, but she ignored it. There's the local cuisine, which isn't a whole lot different than Bag City cuisine, but my favorite place to go. She grabbed Lydon by the hand and pulled him down a long, narrow street filled with nighttime wanderers. It was the first time she resembled the girl from the ship to Pluto Station. She was alive and gleeful as her pace picked up. Lydon felt himself being propelled quickly through throngs of people as they advanced farther and farther into the depths of the city where he also noticed more and more aliens around them. Aliens from other planets. It wasn't so much the plethora of breathing masks, but more it was the variety of features that humans generally lacked. Ridged noses, sharper ears, non-existent eyebrows, and more. The reader boards over the awnings and business overhangs also became more and more exotic, like walking through the fashion boutiques of a Karamina shopping center. Where are we going? Lydon asked as he was pulled along. We're not going anywhere, Kimber said as she came to a sudden stop. We're here. Lydon looked around at the foreign nature of the outdoor eateries and vendors. Where is here? he asked. Galactic Quarter, she said obviously. Lydon shrugged. That's just the colloquial name for it. It's the only really diverse chunk of principality on Earth right now. People, beings from all over the galaxy come here, of all places, to have a good time, right here on Earth. How new is this development? I mean, no one really thinks of Cairo as being a vacation spot, unless, of course, you're a Telluride. To me, it was just that place that makes Telluride tech, a wasteful consumer of resources, Ladin said as he looked around in unthinking awe. Kimber eyed him suspiciously. It's always been here, but the Telluride bubble made it exclusive to them. They had a de facto monopoly on Cairo's beauty and wealth. Once the Tellurides were sent on their way by my father, it sort of lay dormant as the Africanes took control of their city again. Then, after you contacted my father to make your deal and he reopened Earth's borders, the galaxy became interested. It helped that the Africanes immediately started to advertise, but it erupted and it makes my father a little jealous. Lydon shook his head in appreciation of the stunning environment that he never thought could exist on his home planet. I mean, after you left two years ago, Cairo was in worse shape than Bag City for more than a year. Her words flew into Lydon's ears but landed softly on his intellect, and he spoke before he could process them fully. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, since I... He froze and couldn't help but look two shocked eyes at Kimber as his heart began to race. Aliens walked past and brushed up against his arms and shoulders, the sound of the nightlife suddenly thundering in his ears as full understanding finally rang a gong inside his brain. He maintained a wide gaze on Kimber as she stared knowingly back at him. Did she already know? Was that even possible? Had he slipped up so badly in his accent, in his comments, that she already knew? No, it was impossible. She couldn't. Could she? I... Uh, I don't know what you mean. I've never been here to Earth. I mean, I, I certainly wasn't here two years ago. Kimber smiled. Oh, I'm sorry. I must have... You reminded me of someone again, she replied, but her smile betrayed her words. She was playing along. How long would Ladin play along? How long should he play along? Oh, it's quite all right, Ladin said with an even thicker accent than before as he started to walk slowly down the street past shops and eateries. I'm sorry I remind you of this person so vividly, he said as he recognized the popular food on Karamina being served to a pair of sharp-eared calazans. If I may ask, Ladin continued, who was he? A lover or... Kimber shot a shocked glance at Ladin. Or just a friend? Ladin tried to recover. Well, he was neither, Kimber replied as she walked coyly alongside Ladin, taking him gently by the arm. 
It was hard not to feel romantic in a place such as the Galactic Quarter, with its strings of soft white lights zigzagging between ancient brick and mud buildings, all remodeled to suit modern convenience while maintaining their rustic old world feel. Kimber's perfume wafted up into Ladin's breather mask with every other step, and the scent was intoxicating as he reveled in the softness of her hair against his cheek and the weight of her head on his shoulder. I barely knew him, Kimber continued. He was a thief, hired by my father to steal something from the Tellarides. Ladin swallowed hard. Did he get it? The thing he was supposed to steal? Ladin asked cautiously. No, Kimber replied, and something in Ladin's pride stung. He must not have been a very good thief then, Ladin said, trying desperately to maintain neutrality in the matter. No, I think he was a very good thief, just not a very good master of disguise. Ladin felt himself begin to sweat. Should he tell her? Should he reveal himself now? Ladin felt himself begin to sweat. What do you mean he wasn't a good master of disguise? Ladin asked. Oh, he wasn't bad at it, but I knew what he was after the second I saw him. He was too young. He looked too uncomfortable in the fancy suit my father put him in. He was a streetjacker, a net rat, and I could really tell. Lydon wanted to be insulted. Is that really how she saw him? I mean, I liked him, thought he was cute, but like I said, I barely knew him. What happened to him? Lydon asked, again very cautiously. He ran away. My father frightened him so bad when he couldn't get what was asked that he hopped the first ship off planet and disappeared forever. I never saw him again. I guess it's for the best. My life really changed after that experience. Ladin's mouth fell open behind his breather mask. He knew Kimber couldn't see it, but it didn't make him any less shocked by her words because her words were lies. If that's what she truly believed, it's no wonder she never went looking for him. But she saw what her father did to him. She saw the lamp. How could she believe anything she was saying? What was this person's name? Ladin asked, trying to quell his annoyance. I don't remember, Kimber said casually. Laban, Landon, Ladin? Ladin suggested with gritted teeth. Ladin, yes, that's it. How did you know? Kimber asked with what seemed like feigned enthusiasm. He was a scoundrel, Kimber said. It's better that he's out of my life. Ladin swallowed his ire. Was she serious? Did she really think he was a coward who ran? What did she see that night and that day? She showed interest in him. Could two years really have tainted her perception so badly? Ladin couldn't take it anymore. He balled his fist and stopped walking. Is something the matter? Kimber asked innocently, and Ladin found it hard to look her in the eyes. No, it's just that maybe your perception of things with regard to this Ladin might be just a little skewed? Kimber laughed. Oh, not this guy. I think I have him pegged pretty much on the nose. She turned away with a lasting gaze on Ladin. Maybe he was misunderstood. Maybe he was just trying to... Kimber suddenly rounded on Ladin with a scrutinizing glare. Why do you care? she asked, cutting off Ladin's defense. I, uh, I mean... He had no defense. He could only flounder. Why do you care so much about this guy I barely knew? This guy that left my life as quickly as he came into it? This guy who basically ruined my life because... She stalled, and Ladin just stared at her over the top of his breather mask, the only barricade between his lie and the truth. Kimber's shoulders slumped. Because why? Ladin asked, his alien accent slipping more and more with each word. Kimber's gaze stayed on the ground as she said, Because I loved him. And Ladin's heart exploded into a sprint as his hands went to the infernal mask on his face. 
Was it the right time? Was this the moment? His fingers grazed the clasp as Kimber's head slowly rose. Kimber, he said, not hiding his accent any longer, as he tugged at the clasp. Something inside screamed at him to stop, that it wasn't the right time, but he ignored it. He had to. Whether it was the optimal time or not, it was the right time. There wouldn't be a better time. As Kimber looked up into Latin's eyes, he pulled the mask away from his face. The cool night air splashed on his cheeks like a slap of cold water. He parted his lips to speak, but Kimber beat him to it. I knew it was you, she said. Lydon managed a curious smile. When did you know? Kimber shrugged. Today, standing in the middle of the metro interchange, you said something and I... Lydon moved closer, taking her hand in his. I didn't believe you would come back, but you did. The parade, everything. You did it for... You, Lydon filled in enthusiastically. I did it all for you. When I saw you at the parade, I knew it was fate, destiny, whatever. I wanted to be near you. A long pause filled the narrow gap between their two faces. Did you mean what you said? Kimber tilted her head. Which part? That you loved me? Without warning, Kimber threw herself at Ladin, her soft pink lips crashing into his. The sensation, the emotion in the kiss, was more than he had ever felt before, and he wanted it to last forever. Does that answer your question? Kimber asked as she pulled slowly out of their impassioned moment. Lydon nodded. Oh yeah, he said as Kimber rested her head on his chest. So what do we do now? She asked softly, not like the powerful diplomat she had been, but more like a lost kitten searching for food. Come with me, Lydon said. I can get you out of here, away from your father, away from everything. We can live where no one will ever suspect. How are we going to do that? She asked, looking up. You don't have that much money. Ladin smiled cunningly. I don't need money. Kimber cocked her head with a sideways smile. What do you mean? Ladin flashed a mischievous set of teeth. I've still got the lamp. You still have it? It's in Zade, he said without thinking about it. A gleam danced in Kimber's eyes, that confidence still hiding somewhere inside. How much confidence, Ladin couldn't say but it unnerved him. So you can actually get me, us, out of here? Ladin's smile fell for a moment, then re-engaged as he nodded. Yes, yes I can. So that was chapter 26. I didn't do any commentary last week on those four chapters because I felt like mm, they were kind of boring and there wasn't a whole lot to comment on. And, and there was a lot of sort of exposition reintroducing um, the second half of this story. So I will comment a little bit on that um, as well as this chapter now. Um, but like I said, I am on vacation. My family and I are spending some time on the coast um, with my brother. So um, I'm sitting in my car right now, and it is midnight. It is 1221 in the morning, and I am recording this commentary because it's the only quiet time I had. So if you want to visualize a, a, a dude sitting in the front seat of his car 
with just the light of a computer screen and a microphone in his face, go for it. Um, it's kind of interesting. The stars are magnificent where we are. There's no uh, light pollution. So you can also imagine looking straight up at the sky and seeing every star possible. Um, anyway, let's get to the story. So the second half of this book takes us back to Earth. Aladdin is now um, disguised as a different person. He's Alan Basra, um, as we've been introduced to already. But now he has to confront Malik. And there were a couple of things here that I really enjoyed writing. Um, one of the things I enjoyed writing was uh, this whole... Uh, I, I love it when you have a character who is... Um, in broad daylight, standing in front of their enemy and uh, having to play a different personality. I love that. I love the whole disguise um, trope in a story where the protagonist has to um, get right in the face of the enemy and talk directly to him. It kind of reminds me of Ocean's Eleven, if, anybody, if you remember that movie. Ocean's Eleven is fantastic because you have... The protagonists of the story, the guys who are going to rob somebody, talking directly to the person they're going to rob, being directly involved face-to-face, -face, out in broad daylight, talking to these guys, planning right in front of him, right under his nose. Um, and that's what Laden's sort of doing here, and that's kind of how I wrote this. I wanted it to be just like Laden knows, but Malik doesn't know. Um, and then the downside to that is that at any moment... The people you're trying to hide your identity from, the people Laden is trying to hide from, they could find out at any moment that it's him. And so that's the that's sort of the the um, the tender the tender nerve uh, right there that I'm dealing with um, with Laden is that he's got to keep this disguise up and he really kind of sucks at it. He's really not great at it. Um, his accent is really weak. He goes in and out of it all the time. And in chapter 26, Kimber says that she noticed that day when they were when she was talking to him and he slipped up. And and I think the way I handled this was not great as a writer. I think I have a ton of weaknesses as a writer. Um, and this was one of them. Chapter 26 could have been so much better. Um, now that I'm, you know, four or five years beyond writing this thing, I would have written it completely different. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to rewrite it and resubmit it. But um I feel like, you know, the thoughts Aladdin was having were not totally on point. They weren't totally focused on what Kimber was saying. And he should have been freaked out a lot sooner. He should have known that she knew a lot sooner than he did. Um, and for me, that's kind of embarrassing as a writer that I didn't that I didn't really work that as well as I could have. Um, but, you know, you live and learn. Um, so, so if you're a writer, if you want to write a book... Um, you need to consider these individual scenes and take them and develop them completely, even as separate individual scenes. It's, it's kind of easy to tie in, at least in my experience, it's kind of easy to tie a scene to the general plot. It's kind of easy to tie individual scenes together to make this string that becomes your entire plot, your entire story arc. And gets you to the conclusion. But make sure you develop your individual scenes. Okay? Make sure you... You know, it's like every scene kind of needs an exposition. A rising action. A climax. A falling action. A resolution. Every every scene kind of needs its own version of that. And when I teach writing to my 7th graders... You know, it's like you can teach them how to write an essay. 
You can say, hey, your entire essay needs a thesis statement. You need to, you need to introduce your topic and then um, each section of your essay, it could be each paragraph or each general section, has to have a new topic sentence that introduces that. And then you have to tie that into the general thesis. And it's kind of convoluted. And, and if you're used to writing or if, you're, if you teach writing, this all makes sense to you. But um, I think each of these individual scenes while they have to move the plot along and they have to tie into the general story, you need to develop them individually. You need to introduce everything correctly, introduce the exposition of it, introduce the, the characters, the setting, and the conflict that's going to happen. So for this particular scene where Kimber discovers that Ladin is Ladin, the conflict is, can Ladin hide this long enough? Or, 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 or actually for him, it's more of the when to reveal himself. That's the conflict in this whole scene. And as readers, we can kind of infer that Kimber already knows. That she's picking up on these bonehead mistakes that he's made. And as a writer, you know, like I said, I could have done a much better job with that. Um, because the bonehead mistakes were very obvious. They were very... Um, I wanted it to be obvious. I wanted it to not, not drag this whole thing out for chapters and chapters. And chase my tail, like I've mentioned in other other podcasts. So I made them sort of bonehead mistakes um, that Laden was going to do when he slipped up in conversation just to move this thing along. So, so, so yeah, so my big advice in writing scenes is to fully develop those scenes, get them developed, get them so that they're interesting. And if you read good authors, um, each scene, and for some authors, especially middle grade, each chapter is a new scene. Like if you read the Percy Jackson books, Okay, the Lightning Thief is so well written. I love it because it's it's easy to read, it's easy to teach, and it's easy to use as a demonstration for how to how to write correctly. Each chapter is a new scene that moves the plot along, that moves the story along in a really efficient way, to where you get an education on who this kid is what his purpose is in this universe, where he comes from, and it even educates you on Greek mythology. So when Rick Raridan wrote that book, he accomplished a lot of little things just by developing each of his scenes um, one at a time. And he did a fantastic job at that. And I don't know if that was his focus when he wrote it, but he did a great job. So now Kimber knows. Kimber knows who Ladin is. And I'm sorry I left you as a bit of a cliffhanger on this one. Um, so, you know, it's like, oh, no, what happens next? Do they run away? Um, so I'll tell you right now, there are 33 chapters in this book, and we just finished number 26. So there's still quite a bit of story left. Um, uh, just a couple things about characterization, keeping your characters consistent. Now, as I go back through and read this, I see, and I could excuse away some of Kimber's inconsistencies. And and I think it'll make more sense the closer we get to the end of the book why she seems to be inconsistent. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think she's as inconsistent a character as she might seem right now. Because you have that sort of flirty um, stewardess, the, the flirty flight attendant, Um and, and then you have the hard-nosed sort of diplomat. And one seems like she could be 17, and the other one seems like she could be 28, even though only two years have passed. And uh, 
So, so I think that the inconsistencies there, they're going to make sense later on in the book. So I just wanted to address that really quickly. As far as Ladin goes, I think I'm staying pretty consistent with his character. I feel like, um, when you have passage of time, when you have people who've been through traumatic events, you have to go in and you have to think about these things. Like how would they respond? And maybe I didn't do that well enough. Maybe I didn't realize that Ladin's heart had just been broken now, uh, for the first time. Um, when, when he left Earth two years before this scene. And maybe that should have affected him more. I mean, he, he all he does is think about her and he obsesses over her. And this is kind of what guys do, um, having been a teenage boy myself. And it, it was probably more, maybe I have him acting more like a 12 or 13-year-old, um, the way little boys, the way younger boys obsess over things. Um, but he was, that's all he did for two years was he obsessed over this girl, the first girl he ever had any kind of feelings for. Um, so maybe he's immature and, and I'm, and I hope his immaturity shows out, but it's also a matter of the, the trauma over Simic, the trauma over his life in general and how he didn't really understand anything about his own life is affecting him and making him more mature. So you can see how there are these, this sort of dichotomous character here. You have the immature boy who is just puppy love through and through. And then you have the traumatized PTSD boy who makes sort of um, decisions based on survival mode. Uh, and so he's a conflicted dude. He's a conflicted kid, but I think I've been able to keep him pretty consistent. So make sure that you think through everything your characters are going through. If you're writing something, think what they're going through, think how it's going to affect them, how they, how it's going to affect the way they react to certain situations and react to certain people. And we can see here that Ladin, when, once Kimber, once he knew that Kimber knew, you know, he had that, that puppy love side of him, that, that I have a crush on this girl side of him was super excited. But then there was the traumatized side right there at the end. That was like, he's a little cautious now. So that's all I got for you. I'm going to leave you with, uh, what's good in audio. I discovered um, a new podcast for me. Actually, to be honest, this is a podcast that my mom found. The podcast is called Wind of Change. And it's it's sort of a one-off podcast. And it's an interesting story. It's There's a journalist, um, Patrick Radden Keefe, um, and he investigates, he investigates a secret history of Cold War espionage and heavy metal. Is what is is what's in the description. It's this great story about how he heard from a guy who worked in the CIA, from another guy who worked in the CIA, sort of third hand, that the song "Wind of Change" performed by the Scorpions in the early '90s was actually written by the CIA, and he had to investigate it. So he he does this. Um, it is an eight-part series. No, it's a seven-part series 
on his investigation into this song. And he interviews some fantastic, amazing people. Um, and you get to hear stories of the CIA. And you get to hear uh, how maybe during the Cold War, the CIA was using rock and roll to change the world. It's really interesting. So it's presented by Pineapple Street Studios, Crooked Media, and Spotify. So you can find it wherever you've listened to podcasts, but it's called Wind of Change, and it is hosted by Patrick Radden Keefe. I highly recommend this thing. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I binged listened to this thing. Um, it's fantastic. So if, if, you, if you're bored, go check it out. Remember, you can get my books on Amazon, um, anywhere you can buy paperbacks online and uh, ebooks. I've got the Immortal Light series, three books uh, for sale, and Lamp for sale. You can find me on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at John D. Sperry. And remember, get that trial of Audible, audibletrial.com slash JDS podcast to get that free trial. Great stuff on there. And that's all I have for you this week. Remember, be good. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.